Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another Climbing the Pocket Mondays. I am your host, Tyler Fornis, back after a two-week work hiatus. Uh, we are going to be talking Viking Steelers. We're going to be talking a little bit moving forward with the Bears, the NFL draft, the offseason, and we are going to be answering some of your questions. So stick around while we turn your Monday The show features Tyler Fornis and Deshaun Vaughn as they talk your Minnesota Vikings with you, the fans. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You didn't think you could get rid of me that easy. After a nice little two-week break dealing with work stuff, I am back. Unfortunately, Deshaun is not able to be here tonight because he is out there getting smarter and helping the world. As I said, my name is Tyler Fornest, your host for this evening, and we get the pleasure of talking exclusively with the lover of the round bellies, Mr. <laughs> Dave belly himself. himself. <laughs> yes, sir. I got one myself. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. And we wish Deshaun all the uh, goodwill possible because he is studying for finals. So we want him to pass and blow their socks off. Just like Ezra Cleveland does when he pulls to open a hole for <laughs> Dalvin Cook. You know what? Let's kind of start there, Dave, because this was one of the more impressive performances of the offensive line this season. I don't know what happened to Garrett Bradbury, but he all of a sudden figured out how to block. And block at a consistent level and utilize an anchor. Dave, this is one of the best interiors uh, interior lines in the National Football League, especially when you talk about Cam Hayward. Cam Hayward is one of the most underrated players in the league. He is an absolute dominant force. Usually plays good. five tech. Yeah, but on those passing downs, he will shift inside to a three tech or a two eye. And the fact that they were able to manhandle this Steelers defensive line, albeit late, they didn't have Watt or Alex Highsmith. Right. Is one of the more impressive things I've seen from any team this season. Well, I don't know if it's because we moved Cole over to right guard and Bradbury's in, so you basically got two guys that could play center in there that know the position. Ezra has grown into being a very good left guard, and he looks to continue to grow, and that is just a wonderful thing for us. We get Darisaw uh, back, and this line may be scary down the you know, stretch run, which is good. Mm-hmm. We need it. Absolutely. And once, uh, I think you kind of mentioned Darisaw coming back is going to be huge because Ole Udo, struggle bus. And I don't necessarily put all this on Udo. He is a right tackle by trade, and he doesn't have the requisite quickness, especially with his feet, 
to be able to handle some of those edge rushers on the outside. And I think that's why guard was such a really good fit for him because he had the length, he had the strength. He has really good overall athletic ability when it comes to foot quickness to be able to handle those speed rushers at this level because he played it. Uh... No, no. What happened? Tyler froze. He was talking about Ole Udo having the requisite speed. Ole Udo, what I like from Ole Udo, while uh, Tyler figures out why he froze, um, is that uh, Ole Udo, once he locks onto you, you're not getting away. And playing guard, when Ole's playing guard, obviously the contact comes a lot quicker. And that happens. I was just explaining Ole Udo... And how he can lock on, and once he's locked on to you, you're done. Um, mm-hmm. It's the speed that gets by him on occasion. And mm-hmm. and then him wanting to turn around and grab, causing... Yeah, and, and especially when you're talking about in a zone blocking scheme, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily want that. That's not the exact skill set that you really want from your tackles. You obviously want them to be able to be a mauler. Uh, that's always going to be fantastic it feels like Ole Udo if he were to go and play for the Baltimore Ravens he would be a much better tackle because of the things that he's going to be asked to do he's going to be asked to move up and down not side to side he's just going to be able like hey I'm going to get my hands on you and like you said you're done oh (laughs) Joseph (laughs) always coming in with the zingers that rearrange Ole Udo to I hold you that's look that's brilliant. And <laughs> well, the deal that's, with that's... a tackle versus guard, all right, um, besides the footwork, all right, one, as a guard, you're in an enclosed space and you're engaging real quick. You engage usually immediately with, when called a punch, a hand, back in the day, forearm, shiver, whatever it was, and you engage and you're constantly battle, battle. A tackle. Being on the outside, he moves back in pass blocking, right, and sets. And then he's waiting for the defensive end or whoever's rushing from his outside to do something before he comes up and then counters. Um, And there's a difference in the hand play there and learning that difference on when to do that. Because if you do that as a tackle and you come up too quick, as a defensive end, I've got you beat. I'm going to I'm going to come across your arms. I'm going to move you in a direction you don't want to go because your arms are out before before I'm getting into your body. And uh, yep. it's it's just technique and it just comes from practice and repetition and stuff like that. And when only if only gets beat, he turns around and grabs somebody and that's the problem. Mm-hmm. He could get away 100%. with 100% but not at this level. Especially at Elon, you can get away with that in college. And I think Dan brings up a really good point here, Dave. Udo has only been a guard for a few months. And I I think that's 100% fair. Like yeah. To be able to transition to the inside is a lot different, especially when you talk mm-hmm. about a guy like Udo, who is a massive human being. He's 6'6", like 340. And the way you want have to block and leverage guys is completely different, not to mention what the footwork requires. And... Dan is saying that we should have been training him on guard and tackle duty for the last two years and that he blames coaching staff for that. And he's spot on because they, well, Mm -hmm. Dave, they asked him to start playing guard 
like two or three days before training camp. Yeah, like you're asking this guy to learn how to play guard, a position he's likely never played due to his massive size and athletic ability. You want, excuse me, you want those guys at tackle. And all of a sudden you're asking him to go in transition to start learning to play guard. I'm, I completely blame the coaching staff for that. Not having a plan, utilizing something as a panic-only move. And it it's overall worked. Mm-hmm. There have been some rough patches, but overall it has been a success. And I think easily a success playing him over Dakota Dozier. Like, mm-hmm. just oh, yes. upgrading it all. But then you kind of talk about other aspects of why we don't have somebody better or a better um, player uh, better prospect at that right guard position. And I think that kind of circles back around to our quarterback, Kirk Cousins. And he had probably his worst game as a Viking in quite some time, probably since that Atlanta game last year that we talked so much about. And I know I have spoken at length on it. The fact that he played as poorly as he did, and then you have positions like the right guard who are not addressed. Because if you don't have that massive contract, you're signing a right guard. You're probably getting a Joe Tooney, a Corey Lindsley. And yeah, like Lene yeah. just kind of pointed out, yes, the O-line played well because it's a of Kirk's salary, which make him more reasonable. And you can afford Tooney, right? And and that that just beefs up and strengthens that line all the more, especially with the veteran help, because it is a young line, clear across the board, mm-hmm. and and it brings in that attitude that's needed for offensive line, because you've got to have that one yeah. crusty old guy that's going to be, this is how you do it. We're going to kick that, you know, and just go in there and and know the tricks that know. Hey, I'm going to crack back block right, you know. Yeah, and get the defensive guy going. Wait, what? <laughs> you know, and it's it's things like that that put the line over the top. We haven't had that mm-hmm. uh, nice. What is nice about this year? We have a nice core of um, young people. They seem to be playing better than they have in years. Uh, partly, I attribute that to the new offensive line coach and. Uh, and it's a good thing, but it has to be consistent. And the the title of this episode was a consistency quest. You wanted a quest mm-hmm. for consistency. And we yeah. haven't been consistent all season long. Mm-hmm. That's honestly our, our biggest fault is not being consistent because you've seen time and time again, look, this, the Steelers game is the epitome of that consistency quest. Because the first half, they looked like they were a bona fide Super Bowl team. The second half, they looked like the Detroit Lions. And when you want to compete in this league and you want to make a real, real push to be great and win a Super Bowl, you can't have that kind of dichotomy. You just can't. You have to figure out a way to be consistent. And the fact that we have a Mike Zimmer coach team with a lot of these guys sticking around you have the Anthony Bars of the world who had already accepted a contract offer with the Jets who flipped for l- quite a bit less money so he could come back and play for Mike Zimmer. And you had Mackenzie Alexander come back. You had Terrence Newman follow him 
to two different teams, and you have guys who have stuck stuck around. How in the world do you have that kind of dichotomy? Like, Dave, it's incredibly frustrating. And oh, I don't I don't know the answer to fix it other than take the boot out of your ass and start doing it. You have to play better football. Because it's it's not like that Zimmer flipped a switch and all of a sudden the game plan just went out the window in the second half. It was they almost got too soft, too conservative. Like just play to win the game. Mm-hmm. No, but they've been that way all this entire season, except for the yeah. Seattle game, they play this bipolar style of football. Not to, you know, we wish Everson all the luck in the world, but it seems like they've got a group version of it where they'll play one really good half, and then mm-hmm. the na- next half is just absolute garbage. And it's just like, you know, is it we've had, you know, Mid-game adjustments. The adjustments went well when we didn't play in the first half really well. And then we've had, we played the first half really well, and the mid-game adjustments were the wrong ones, admitted by Zimmer, said, I changed things up, but I shouldn't have. And But there's, that's on the play call side of it, but there's also just the play and the concentration from the players. And it's just, how? I mean, it was, what, in the, Third quarter or whatever, second half, Kirk Cousins had three completions. And it's just like, Mm -hmm. oh, come on, guy. You can be... Now, his whole game was not good. He was off. He was... It looked off. I mean, there was throws were off. Everything else happened. And it was, you know, and you had some drops. And, you know, we said Justin Jefferson dropped the two touchdowns. Well, those... It's because our expectations for Justin Jefferson are so much higher than any other receiver. Um, those wouldn't have been considered catchable balls, even though a receiver and a tight end's mentality is, if I touch it, I should catch it. Um, it's just, it's frustrating for us as fans. It's draining. This whole season has been draining because we go through this Jekyll-Hyde thing where one half we're Hyde, the next half we're Jekyll, and it's and it's driving us nuts because it, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, at the beginning of the season it was, hey, we are great for the scripted plays, and then we went to crap, right? Now we're getting into full halves of being good, except for the last two minutes. However, we did improve that on Thursday, um, and it's just why people, why are you doing this? We see Thursday was a microcosm in this team. The first half we dominated. We looked absolutely fantastic, especially on defense, but offense was with Dalvin Cook cooking things up. I mean, Dalvin had over 100 yards um, in the first half, and he was just going, holes were wide enough to drive Mack trucks through. It was just, it was humming. We could beat, that team in the first half can beat any team in this league, right? And we were real close. We beat the Packers. We were one play away from beating the Cardinals. Right, there are two top teams in the NFC, um, and then you have the Bucks, which we have not played. But we could do that if you put two of those halves together, and then do that on a regular basis. This team wouldn't be under five hundred; it would be battling for you know the bye going into the playoffs. But they can't seem to do that this year, 
And I don't know if they need a big, you know, sports psychologist to set up, for, you know, camp at Egan and say, hey, we're running everybody through, including the coaches. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it is. It's frustrating, draining. It's very frustrating. And I, let's be honest, the, this Mike Zimmer, Kirk Cousins experiment is a 500 football team. Mm-hmm. That oh, yeah. is Anytime the epitome of inconsistency. Good. Anytime they look good, just like Score North says, I think it's mm-hmm. Judd, they got that magnetic pull back to 500. Right? They go over, mm-hmm. and they come back. They come under, they go back. They, it's just, mm-hmm. We are so, t- so it- tired. Exactly. I'm 100% tired of it, too. A um, couple shout-outs here real quick. Quang, thank you for joining us, even though it was a little late. You're <laughs> always welcome here. Um, and uh, Mary and a couple others in the comments, like, I think this one's really big. Cousin seems to have lost some confidence. And it, I think there's something to that. And I, I want to expand on that a little bit because I don't necessarily think that it was it's necessarily confidence. I think it's hey, my back's not up against the wall as much as it might have been. And it should have been because you lost to the damn Lions. Like, I I still remember, I think it was the 2002 season. It was Steve Smith's rookie year with the Carolina Panthers. The Panthers went 1-15. They beat the Vikings week one. Dante Culpepper had that weird fumble where he fumbled through the end zone on, on like, a rollout that he would have scored on. Uh, um, But... It was like this team can't lose to one in 15 teams. They already struggle beating teams with winning records. Kirk's got a record of what, 17 and 41 against teams with winning records. Mm-hmm. It's either him or Zimmer. And that's bad. Really bad. <sighs> no, it's, it's... Zimmer's isn't great. I think it's in the 20s, but it's. It's not good. Yep. It's, it's no. It's not. It is what it is. It is what before we signed him, I said it was going to be. But everybody's oh, look at those stats. We can throw for five thousand yards and thirty-five touchdowns. It's gonna be great. Uh huh. Ask Warren Moon how many uh, playoff games he won with those Oilers teams. Mm-hmm. Look, Warren Moon's my favorite football player of all time. Next week or the week after, there will be an autographed Warren Moon jersey right behind my head. Like, I love Warren Moon and watching those other teams. You can find a lot of the games on YouTube, which is super, super fun. But anyways, to to kind of uh, wrap up my point, Moon had some phenomenal stats, 4,000 yards every year, Uh just putting up numbers. But it doesn't matter if you don't win the damn football game. Matthew Stafford, look at the numbers he put up doesn't matter because he didn't win football games what uh, a lot of that was him a lot of that was the organization and the failure to put stuff around him at the end of the day i don't care about your stats i care about winning football games you know what teddy bridgewater did while he was here one football he won football games he played within the offense he did enough to win football games and he kept progressing week after week after week that was a man that won football games that's why people want him back that's why they're still talking of it, even though he has regressed enough where we shouldn't be talking about bringing him back as the starting quarterback. At the end of the day, you want your quarterback to win football games regardless of how it gets done. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, Kirk Cousins does not win football games. He does not. He, he – oh, first drive, oh, we're up 7 nothing. This is great. 
next eight drives. Oh, we're down seven. Oh, final drive of the game. Oh, Kirk did it. Kirk was great today. Well, you know, the games are really won in the first three quarters. If you're up 14 going in the fourth, really doesn't matter a whole lot what you do in the fourth because you pretty much sealed the win. Take advantage of the fact that you are good enough with this offense with a top five running back, two top 15 receivers, a decent O-line. Take advantage of the fact that, hey, you know what? We can win the game in the first 45 minutes, but they don't do that. And I think a lot of that has to do with Kirk Cousins. A lot of that has to do with coaching. Probably about a 50-50 split. And it's very frustrating. They're they're absolutely all to blame. I, I don't need to uh, bust it up anymore. They're just all to blame. Mm-hmm. I just no, they're hundred percent all, all to blame. So, all right, let's could not move. agree more. Let's. We talked about Kirk's struggles. Don't know what's going to change it. He has them every year. He's a roller coaster sometimes. Uh, he's got a high floor, low ceiling, but he's now in that dip. Hopefully he comes out of that at the right time. Um, mm-hmm. uh, no, I, I Wayne agree 100%. Says Cousins wants to have the best stats because he's a business guy. Yes, Wayne, he's a Hall of Fame contract negotiator without a doubt. Mm-hmm. And I, no, I, I don't, you know, I don't harp on him for that. If he can get his money, he can get his money. Now, what I do is with it when it comes to team. And what's best for the team, he looks for himself. Um, Mm -hmm. And whether it be on the contract deal of all my money is guaranteed, I don't care. I'm not giving any back. Nope. I'm only doing short extensions so you can't play with it. Nope. Uh, Putting a no trade clause in. Nope. Until, you know, we got that out this year. But, and it's just, mm -mm, he's... He's in that for him, and I can't. I can't blame him. It's just it's he's not doing it for the team, you know. Take the pay cut so that he can get a guard, or take the shot so he doesn't have to be tested every day, or whatever it is. Anyway, yeah. let's. Uh, I want to get to something that Joseph uh, put in the chat probably about ten fifteen minutes ago, and he asked me about Malik Willis and if I would take uh, Malik Willis as the first quarterback in the 2022 draft. That's an interesting question and we can kind of start talking about the future because the future is going to be a really big topic of conversation. We don't need to delve too far into it. But Malik Willis, have you had a chance to watch any Liberty college football, Dave? No, I don't watch college ball. Okay. I won't start getting into the draft until we start doing actual draft shows. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Malik Willis. He is the closest thing we've seen to Lamar Jackson since Lamar Jackson. He's he's about 6'2", 215. He's very thickly built, so he's not the same type of runner. He's more of a power kind of runner, but he's got speed, and the things he can do with the ball in his hands outside of structure is ridiculous. There are some plays where he rolls out to his right, and he'll throw it 40, 50 yards on a rope. Perfect Perfect placement. What he about, is uh, incredible. Didn't the Alabama quarterback just win the Heisman? He did, but he's not draft eligible till next year. Ah. He was only a redshirt freshman. So, wow. um, Joseph, the biggest things with Malik Willis before we kind of move on, because we're going to really delve into these quarterbacks during 
uh, mock draft Mondays, which will come up as soon as the Vikings are eliminated from the playoffs in any way, shape, or form. Willis struggles inside of structure. He struggles with pocket presence. He struggles playing in the pocket. But what he does do well is everything garbage time. He's got phenomenal, a phenomenal arm. I, uh, one of my favorite scouting terms has become piss missile. He's got a piss missile. and But he struggles doing some of the basic stuff. And it's hard to parse that out to determine if it's him or if it's the offense that he's in or a combination because the offense doesn't do him any favors. There's not a lot of talent around him, but he can definitely be better. So we're trying to figure that piece out. At the end of the day, he's going to be a very interesting prospect. I don't think he goes in the top three quarterbacks as of right now, but a lot can change between now and April. So we'll talk more about him moving forward, Joseph, because this is probably going to be a quarterback-centric show for a little bit during January, <laughs> February, and March until we really figure out what so the deal with Kirk Cousins is. It, it's, it's an interesting class. There's a bunch of guys who are going to be on the same level as a prospect as Mac Jones. How high are you going to be willing to take that guy is going to be the big question. I guarantee you there will be two to four quarterbacks taken in the next year's draft in the first round. Oh, Quarter, I, I, uh, quarterbacks always spike. I I said there's always uh, quarterback inflation that's going to drive them for quarterback needy teams because it's a supply mm-hmm. and demand thing. And when yep. people say it's a weak class or a strong class, yes, we have weak classes and strong classes, but generally out of every year, there's at least one that's good, generally. Mm-hmm. And it's very yes. rare that you have one of those years where it pumps out you know, four or five really good ones. Um, And sometimes those years, they aren't considered strong classes. It's just that that's what happened. You know, somebody stepped up and was like, wow. Um, But we'll see. And once we get closer to the draft, then we're going to talk about who's doing the drafting. New coach, new GM. We don't know the answers to those questions yet. We don't know how mm-hmm. it's going to end up. Is Spielman going to get fired? Is Spielman going to get promoted up and out of there and be an advisor? Uh, Mike Zimmer is going to get fired barring going to the Super Bowl. Uh, and he may, I saw a rumor, he may have even been told that um, early this week. It's, we don't know. And all those, those positions, the coach, the staff, the front office who's scouting, who's going to run it, are all going to determine how they're going to look at this draft. And then what are they going to do with Kirk Cousins? Are they going to try to trade Kirk Cousins? Uh, what are they mm-hmm. going to do with these one-year deals that were this year? Are they going to try to dump all of them and find new one-year deals because of money? Uh, how do we free up money? Uh, people go, you know, hey, we did, couldn't draft it. We couldn't sign anybody because Kirk Cousins' salary. But look, we drafted all these guys. Well, a lot of, a lot of them were on one-year deals, and we pushed mm-hmm. a lot of the money into the future, which we didn't used to do. That's not Brez's way. Brez likes to pay for things yeah. up front, and so we have room the next year to get the big signings. And we've gone away mm-hmm. with that, trying to fit everything in, and it's. It's all going to change this offseason, mm-hmm. and we don't know yet. It's because we've been, Dave, it's because we've been operating under this fallacy that we're one player away. 
First it was Kirk Cousins. Then then the fan base was like, hey, we, all we need is a guard. Remember that? That discourse? All we need is a guard if we're a Super Bowl team. Well, at the end of the day, when you operate under that fallacy, and it is an actual fallacy, that's where you, when you end up in a position like we were in 2020 and now in 2021 where we're continuing to do the same thing. This is a win-now season, and the free agent signings are incredibly evident of it. But other than Christian Derrissaw, all the picks were future picks. Like, hey, these guys are going to be great for us in the future. Well, if you want to win now, why are you using all four of your fourth-round picks on guys who can help you win in the future? It just feels like that they're why trying to contradict themselves. Why are you trading back to themselves. get 15 picks in the seventh? I, hey, look, I agree completely that the draft strategy has always been a very touchy subject for me because I love it and I hate it. Because oh, yeah. at the end of the day, sometimes you just have to go get that dude. Remember what we did? Uh, and I wonder, someone want to run by you. Remember the Cordero Patterson trade uh-huh. where we traded a second, third, fourth, and seventh to go get him? Right. To the I Bengals. wonder if that failure has really spooked Rick Spielman into not doing that again. Because they turned those picks, like three of those guys were starters for Super Bowl teams for uh, the New England Patriots. One of them was Logan Ryan. I think Jamie Collins. Like, starters on a Super Bowl team multiple and I wonder how much that spooked Rick Spielman is not wanting to do it again uh, Tom asks where's Wyatt Davis from what I gather first off Wyatt Davis came into camp out of shape he is not up to shape and then since then I'm being told he isn't in shape by now and I'm like that's crazy he should be in shape by now uh, but I'm also being told he's not picking it up and he's not being put in a position where he can basically compete. They're going, they're spending in in practices, they spend the majority of their time with the starters and they install their stuff and then they go on from there. The younger guys that are supposedly in development don't get as much focus time by the head coach and the line coach and everybody else as mm-hmm. the starters do. So he's behind yeah. the power curve and don't expect to see him the rest of the season in in a guard unless there's an injury. It's just it's Which is incredibly wild because going into this past draft class and even the draft class before, everybody was talking about Wyatt Davis plug and play a guy. He's gonna be ready day one. And for that to be a hundred percent not the case, and because of hit uh, Davis coming in out of shape, I d- <laughs> look the comment section, guys, is on fire tonight. And Teresa, my good friend, we'll talk about your question here in a little bit because I find that to be very interesting. Uh, it's it's very frustrating, Dave, when you draft a guy who is supposedly like plug and play, play. Mm-hmm. you know, and use air quotes, comes in out of shape. We won't know what their plan is for Wyatt Davis. Excuse me, what the original plan was because he came in out of shape. You want to, you have a football Which says guy. something to Wyatt Davis's mm-hmm. mental makeup and why he let himself get out of shape. When you're mm-hmm. fresh to a new job, most of the time you want to please and do extra and do all sorts of stuff. And yeah. the fact that you didn't get in shape, that surprising it's it honestly speaks volumes and it's incredibly frustrating uh, i think one of the tough things to kind of parse out is 
what would the plan for Wyatt Davis uh, have been if he was in shape? Was he going to be a redshirt year? Because I'll tell you, it sure seemed like he was going to be plugged in at right guard from mm-hmm. day one. That was the sense that we got from the team, the beat reporters. That that was the overall consensus that Wyatt Davis was started or picked to be the starting right guard for the Minnesota Vikings. And now I don't think he's played a snap. Not at right guard. Not a, he's played. Has he, he played, played some played special teams blocking? Two. He's played some special teams, but I don't. I'm not. I'd have to look at PFF to see if he's logged any offensive snaps, and I don't think so. And with the heavy package, you thought, well, maybe he'll do that. But no. We Blake Brandle. Blake Brandle comes in and is doing a great job. Yeah. And, you know, Blake Brandle I thought was really interesting uh, because. Doug, no, Wyatt did when, not. Derisaw did. He has Wyatt. not. He didn't come yeah. to. When Wyatt Davis came to camp, he wasn't injured. Okay. Um, PFF, Wyatt Davis. Zero offensive snaps yeah. played. Um, let's see. Has he's he, probably got I do, a couple dozen special teams. I don't see anything that PFF. I don't know if PFF tracks uh, special teams. I know they do if they don't pro football focus does. Or not focus, but football reference. reference? Okay, well, we'll leave that to another another day. Because Wayne, they did we practice good... him at center in training camp. Yep, but they did. They haven't done anything during the season, and he only took they know, like five snaps. They had him practicing with Mond on the side on like that first Saturday practice. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the reason why, but they both ended up on the COVID list. So that's kind of how that started. Uh, David, I don't think he's Drew Samia two uh, their their issues are completely different. Samia wasn't strong for an offensive lineman. Davis's issues are more of the quickness variety, which Samia obviously did not have. So it's it's that's a it's a tougher one. It just feels like he got in the doghouse with a real football guy head coach, where it's hard to get out of the doghouse, and uh, he hasn't says, been able to fix it. You'd say the twenty. 20- 21 draft class is a D. I'd say no. It's a TBD to be determined uh-huh. because there's so many question marks with this draft class. You have a third round quarterback who has not been active for a game yet. Christian Derrissaw has played, I think three games so and, uh, far this well, season due to injuries. Well. He has, he's, he has been a starting caliber left tackle from the get go, which is a fantastic pick at pick number 23. Chasserad has played almost nothing. Patrick Jones has been, Used on occasion, I think he's only. Week. I think he's only had about fifty snaps in his NFL career. Mir mm-hmm. Smith Marset hasn't done much. Cameron Bynum's had two really, really good games. One great one, but then he's basically gotten in the doghouse again, and he's no, keeps he got hurt. being inactive. Ah, he's been hurt. Uh, okay. Or COVID then, or one of those. Yeah. He was off because I, he was injured. He was on the injury route. Mm-hmm. As of right now, this draft class, uh, like if you want to give it a D for how it's impacting us this season, I think that's fair. But overall, it's a to be determined. There's still so much unknown about what this class is. Yeah, but you got to go see. That's what that's what I get into the CBS chart of you know top five, top ten draft choices are expected to start. First rounders are expected mm-hmm. to start. Top five, top ten are expected to be 
better than average starters. And then you get Impact a second right round, away. you hope to start, you know, by the end of the season. Third round, you hope they get to yep. be a starter. And then fourth round and below, you're lucky if they make special teams, right? You're hoping they're contributors and go on. It's That's, that's the way the league's worked over the last 50 years. There is a reason people mm-hmm. are chosen at different rounds. Yes, can you find somebody in the fifth round that turns into be, you know, an all-pro wide receiver? Yes. Um, yeah. Somebody in uh, who could turn out to be the greatest quarterback of all times. You find him in what? The sixth or seventh round he was picked in, right? Mm-hmm. Those things do happen, but if you look at everything, it's – it's a it's a ski slope. I mean, from starting with the first round pick all the way down to the seventh, it just goes. Yep. And it it craters fast. Oh yeah. Uh, Joseph with an interesting uh, take. Um, wait for the new coaches, and I'm very interested to see what a new coaching staff would do with this offensive line because I think that I don't know if you would bring in a coach that's going to run exclusive zone like we do. Obviously, we run a little bit of duo and stuff, but we're not running power gaps. Like, we're running on occasional concept, but that's not who we are. Um, Quang with the funny one, Drew to me is strong at the buffet. That that got yeah, me pretty good. That could be. Uh, and then to follow up with Joseph's questions, why does every O-lineman that Green Bay drafts since Tony managers work up? Um, I'm going to credit Ron Wolf on this because of the organization and structure that he built in the early 90s. Mandridge, uh, that was the steroid era, man. People oh, loved yeah. bulk. Just look at pro wrestling, Hulk Hogan. That's what people wanted. That's what, what people idolized. The Mr. Universe competitions with Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's where pop culture was at that time. And I think the Packers really got sucked into it and didn't really look at everything else. Once he left the Packers, he did become a very good guard for the Indianapolis Colts and even blocked for Peyton Manning his rookie season, which is kind of a fun little trivia question. But the structure that they built and how they scout offensive linemen having moved forward, they've done a phenomenal job. And outside of the Steelers and wide receivers, there is no organization that does a better job with picking and developing any singular position group than the Green Bay Packers. They're phenomenal. And we should, like, to be phenomenal, that position, hitting on fourth and fifth rounders. The, a top three left tackle in football, David Bakhtiari, fourth round pick. They just drafted Elton Jenkins in the second round last year, two years ago. They got Royce Newman in the fifth round this year who's been a very good guard. They're, they're just ridiculous, and there's really nothing else you can say. They're just phenomenal at it, and we can only aspire to be half as good, and if we're half as good, we're doing a pretty damn good job. Mm-hmm. Mary said coaching. Mary, coaching doesn't solve everything, and there's a reason why these – they're taken where they're taken because of lack of certain traits, and they can't be developed. Even with – the greatest coaches on earth, they can take some of these people and maybe develop them into contributors, but they're not all going to hit. Even Bud Grant in the years back in the 70s had second stringers and third stringers, and that didn't pan out more than a year or two, and that was it. It's just you can't take somebody that doesn't have the prerequisite culmination of or accumulation of the necessary traits to do certain things. You can't make a five foot two guy into an offensive tackle. It's just it, and say coaching can fix it. 
It doesn't happen. You have to have that base uh, blob of clay that's strong enough to handle the molding by the coaches to start yeah. off with. And you, you just can't get it always in the draft. I agree 100%. Um, Dave, we have some questions we need to get to, but first I want to touch on the Chicago Bears game moving forward because it will be on Monday night. And Ooh. something to note, everybody, that we will be having a modified show on Monday. We will be coming on at the beginning of the two-minute warning of the first half, and then we will be going through halftime. We'll be doing more of a halftime show, kind of a little bit of a watch-along, no and just singing. talking Minnesota Vikings. No <laughs> singing. Nobody wants to hear Dave belt out some show tunes. So uh, that that's kind of our plan. We'll be posting on social media to let uh, to just kind of remind everybody what's going on. So prepare for us to be on on your screens. We'll be busy that at around at around eight thirty. That's that is when I project the uh, two minute warning. Usually about it. Mm -hmm. Somewhere in there. Be be prepared for us to go live at any second. Because we will be going live for that after the two minute warning and halftime. But as we kind of talk about the Bears, they had a very weird game against the Green Bay Packers. They dominated the first half, let it completely out of get out of control in the third quarter. The Packers got bailed out on a pretty rough um, uh, out of bounds call on a punt gun that would have given the Bears the ball and like a 15 yard field to uh, make it a closer than 11 point game. But that's just Packer luck, man. They get it all the time. It's insane. Uh, and then that onside but, kick at the end. I know the rule says yeah. you can't advance the ball, but damn, it, it's a bunch. Like they need to fix that. Like yes. I, I think that rule is a bunch of crap. I mean, there's reason for um, it on a punt. Uh, but yeah. <sighs> and you know what's you know it's weird because the reasoning that they gave on a punt is because oh everybody's. Can ever, nobody's going to be behind the punt return. Who cares? Nobody's behind the quarterback when you strip sack him. Like, right. I, 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 I just no. It's it's something that should be readdressed. I think. I think it would make the game more interesting. On the rare occasion it happens, because how often does it yeah. happen? Less than a handful of times a year, often. if that. So, all right. Yeah. And you know it was wild. Three teams required re- recovered onside kicks yesterday. That would just crazy. Yeah. All right, Dave, let's get to those questions that were submitted All earlier. Right. I know we've answered a lot in the chat tonight, and we'll try and answer one or two more. Um, what do we have, Dave? All right. The first one is from Greg. Greg asks, are there are the issues this year because of players or coaches? Yes. I, I, I think it's a combination. Yes. Too. Blame them all. Um, yeah, everybody's to blame. I think the coaching staff and front office for not putting the right personnel on the field and being a little stubborn about it and continuing to believe that this group is going to make a Super Bowl run when they just aren't. I think they're to blame. The players also need to execute because if they do a better job in execution more on a more consistent basis, the theme of tonight's show, this team could have nine wins. It can have more but than that. For, yeah, for multiple reasons they don't. Mm-hmm. And that has to do with execution and the coaching staff. All right, our next question from Michael. What year did the Vikings first invade England during the Dark Ages? 
Well, Michael, Leonidas would let me on Facebook, so I don't know and I don't care. Dave, I know you know this answer. I do know this answer. During the Dark Ages, the answer was, it was first documented. It probably happened beforehand, but wasn't documented. The first documented mm -hmm. happened in uh, 793 AD when they sacked a church in uh, Lindisfarne, England. Now, the second time it happened was August 6th of 1983 when the Minnesota Vikings played the St. Louis Cardinals in a preseason match at Wembley Stadium. Vikings won that one. I think it was 2010. It was the last year of Bud Grant. We then went into our dark ages in the 80s. Les Steckel was next. And then Bernsey had to deal with the uh, awful trade, and it didn't come out for another about another decade. That is the answer to your question, August 6, 1983. That's perfect. All right, what's the next question, sir? Andrew, are we committed to a full rebuild? Andrew, the only way this team commits to a full rebuild is if they hire a new GM and head coach and they both get the Wolves to sign off on it. The Wilfs have, have shown a reluctance to lose relevancy. <laughs> Quang. <laughs> Wayne, I appreciate that. Uh, well, we, we've got Quang burying Dave. We have Joseph uh, getting a nice Deshaun Stephen Weatherly joke. Like, ah, we love you guys. But the Vikings are not committing to a full rebuild unless the Wolves fully sign off on it. And you and shouldn't there's because a lot. there are some key pieces, as we discussed last Sunday, or last Monday. Yeah. Deshaun and I about that you can build from. Yeah. Right. I think, uh, yeah. All right. Next question. Keith asks, if the Vikings are making the playoffs, how far can they go? Are they channeling 2007 and 2011 Eli Manning? If they do, the Vikings could win a Super Bowl. But in all honesty, they maybe win a playoff game and foul out in the divisional round. Like, they have the talent and they have – they have a, a they have good a talent to beat offense. everybody they, in the league. If they if they get hot and they stay consistent, they can beat everybody. But I don't have any faith or confidence that they're going to do that. So I don't believe that they will. If the defense plays like the first half of last week's game and the offense, we get into Kirk February or whatever the hell we want to call it, and he's at the top of his game and. Uh, Dalvin Cook is busting holes, and we go all the way. It's just, yeah, we don't have the consistency to do that. That's thus the mm -hmm. subject. Keith had a second question. Also, who from the coaching staff and front office is gone after this year? I think everybody, um, especially the coaching staff. I think the only ones that could stick around, Andre Patterson might stick around, Andrew Janoko might stick around um, those in my opinion are the two best coaches that we have on our staff as far as assistants go i th i thought before the season zimmer was not going to make it uh to 2022 mm -hmm. um as far as rick spielman i think he stays within the organization do i think he stays as gm i don't know there's rivers i could see them offering to an advisory role yep and then you hire a GM and head coach and you hook them together like John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan have been. I think 
that might be the path to go, um, especially because I think Rick Spielman can bring a lot to the table as far as an advisory role, as far as personnel decisions. And he's been with the organization for 15 years, and he has been a good asset to the organization for that entire time. He's had his issues, but he has overall been a net positive on a consistent basis. And I don't think the Vikings will get rid of him, but I do think they'll be looking for a new GM, head coach, and quarterback this offseason. All right, Keith had a third question. What Vikings make the Pro Bowl, and should people really care? They shouldn't care. The Pro Bowl is kind of a joke. Um, as far as guys who could make it, I think Justin Jefferson's a lock. I think Dalvin Cook, you could consider a fringe lock. Harrison Smith has an argument. Eric Kendrick Smith's leading all safeties and votes. There you go. Harrison Smith looks like a projected starter. Uh, outside of that, Kirk Cousins will probably. Get uh, I don't think Dan Chisina, uh, even though he's been an elite a, hunt gunner, has has enough cachet. Yeah. yeah, you have to be a Matthew Slater or just go above and beyond in order to get that kind of recognition. Um, Kenny Wongwu, with his uh, returnability, there's an outside chance he is the returner because of how limited that position is at this point. So that is also a possibility. There's an outside possibility, C.J. Ham because of how few fullbacks there are. And they haven't yes, changed absolutely. that rule about fullbacks in the Pro Bowl. I think there should be between two and eight. Uh -huh. Our last uh, question is from Amir on Twitter. Which quarterback or cornerback do you like most for the Vikings draft? I, I See, I, I think this is really tough, Amir, because I don't know if I'm drafting him for Mike Zimmer, if I'm drafting him for another uh, coach. Um, if I had to pick... The top cornerback's probably going to end up being Derek Stingley Jr. from LSU, and I think he would fit into any system, and he'd play extremely well. We're talking a guy who's who could easily be compared to Jalen Ramsey as a prospect. Like, this guy is top tier. He could go top five in the draft pretty easily, but he's had some struggles because his freshman year was incredibly dominant, where like just too much exposure and too much uh, hypercriticalness of their play could push him down a little bit. I think likely we end up with Andrew Booth Jr. from Clemson or Kyer Elam from Florida. I don't think we'll miss out on both of those guys and have to settle for a sauce gardener from Cincinnati who hasn't allowed a touchdown in his entire college career. I don't care if it's in the AAC. That's an impressive feat uh, to be that kind of lockdown. Um, I think that's kind of where we're going to end up going. That's it for our questions tonight. Perfect. I have one for you, Dave, that was asked by way earlier by uh, my good friend, Teresa. Mm -hmm. You could switch out any player of the Vikings for any player on a different team. Who would you switch out? And do you think uh, that would make a difference in how far we get this season? Oh, heck yes. <laughs> um, so which, which quarterback you take? <laughs> That's the deal. Um if it's just for this year, I'm taking Tom Brady. He's got the score. Oh, absolutely. And bye-bye, Kirk. Is, if Tom Brady's the quarterback, you, you, this team's easily like 10-3. and three. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, it's, it's competing for the number one seed yeah. in the NFC. Without a doubt. Yeah, and that kind of upgrade. That kind of upgrade. Oh, Joseph, 
I I have not had an opportunity to listen to Purple Daily lately. Mackey wants Peterson as the next head coach. He does, but uh, no. But he's Mackey. convinced because he won a Super Bowl and he made what's his face look good as a quarterback. Um, now, no, yeah, no, no, no. you know who made him look good as a quarterback? Frank Reich. Uh huh. That does Peterson. Coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Why do you think John D. Filippo came over here? D. Filippo and Reich got all the credit. Mm-hmm. No, I don't want Peterson. Peterson's lower on my list. And we'll get into that, guys. All of you are watching, and we start talking about possible head coaches. We'll get into it because it's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Mary, if I get to name the new head coach tonight, Byron Leftwich, Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive coordinator. One, I wrote an article for the Vikings Wire a few weeks back, and in my research, I didn't know how much autonomy that Byron Leftwich had with that offense. Yes, total. You have Bruce. You have Bruce Arians. You have Tom Brady. How much is that Byron Leftwich? No, it's Byron Leftwich's offense. He obviously takes input from both those guys, but it's a Byron Leftwich offense. Mm-hmm. He has his struggles with play calling at at times, but that play call he had to seal the deal against the Bills to. Uh, to run uh, trips to the left and then have have your tight end Gronk run like uh, a mirror crosser with Bashad Perriman. And Perriman just whipped his guy. He was paired up against Tremaine Edmonds, who's fast, but he's not he's not that kind of fast. And, think and of, Brady just put it on him perfectly, and it was a touchdown. Think of Leftwich's left development working with Tom Brady and being in the same room. Yeah. Tom Brady goes... No, I think we should do this. And obviously, Tom Brady knows what he's talking about, too. And it's just the two of them have worked so well together. And Leftwich mm-hmm. is it's his offense, and he makes the 44-year-old, I think he is, Tom Brady, just sing. I mean, Tom Brady, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers are the talk for the MVP this year, right? And both of them are over 40. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Um, Joseph, I am drinking a Coles from Blackstack called That's Beer. It's pretty good. It's just like a standard Coles, just crisp, refreshing, easy. Quang, you could consider it a can of whoop-ass, which uh, I hope the Vikings end up doing to the Chicago Bears on Monday. Yes, but it's oh – God, I hate playing them in – Soldier Field. We beat them last year. It's know, possible. It's like the first time in a decade or two. Um, it's possible. It is yeah. quite possible. And if you've ever seen that stadium, I have not been in it. I've driven around it quite a few times. It is weird. Um, I've seen the old Soldier Field prior to that. And then when they built the new one and they set the UFO inside the, you know, the colonnade and everything else, it just it looks weird. But from what I gather from friends that have gone to games there, sight lines are fantastic. Unless you're yes. way up there on the, you know, the fourth deck, get the wind blowing off Lake Michigan, especially in December, it's quite an quite an adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I've heard it's a fantastic uh, place to watch a football game. It's Soldier Field just feels like old school football, like at. Uh, Notre Dame played Wisconsin there at the end of September, and that just felt like ugly Big Ten football. Like, that that's what I want to see uh, the Chicago Bears do. 
ugly Big Ten style football. It just feels right. Joseph, you are correct. The dream matchup for the Super Bowl is New England against Tampa for the NFL. That would draw the biggest audience. I mean, it would be worldwide. Everybody would want to see Belichick versus Tom Brady. So, Oh, it would be incredible. That, like, I'd be in for it. But the one thing I don't want to deal with is Mac Jones' discourse. Ugh, I don't need that. <laughs> don't need it. Hey, in the system, working for Belichick, he is doing what he's asked to do. It's just like what Teddy did yep. for Zimmer. And they are winning because of it. 100%. Dave, great show tonight. This was yeah, fun. It was. A lot of good stuff. A lot of great uh, interaction with the comments. We've seen uh, some new people here tonight. Just want to say thank you for stopping out. And uh, those who have come and join us every week, Joseph, Quang, Mary, Clifford, everybody else, thank you very much for joining us again. Don't forget the rest of our lineup this week, tomorrow night, in the huddle with Jason and the gang. Uh, talking uh, more in more in depth, uh, talking more from the analytical perspective on the game and the team. Wednesday, Vikings happy hour with Matt and Ryan. Grab yourself a cocktail, relax, enjoy yourself. It's a really good and Crockett fun time. We'll be uh, guesting on that one. Ah, all right, well. perfect. And then don't forget halftime on Thursday, Vikings hot takes with. The great Flip Mozzie and the Daily Norseman's Eric Thompson. Thompson. So, and then Saturday afternoon, 4 Central Time, two old bloggers with Dave. And uh, let me tell you, it's going to be a great lineup tonight. Um, we will not have anything on Sunday due to the fact that there is no Vikings game. But we will have our show Monday night at the two-minute warning. So be prepared to click that button and get onto YouTube around the two-minute warning where we will be going live. We'll watch that the last two minutes together, and then we will have a little mini halftime show, talk about some things, have some fun, and we'll do a better job than ESPN does. Uh, mm-hmm. And okay. until then, enjoy your week. Christmas time is coming up, even if you don't celebrate. It was it's a just a great and jolly time. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy your family. From Dave, Deshaun, I'm Tyler. Enjoy the rest of your week and make sure you keep the purple. That's right. And if you haven't liked and subscribed, please do. We're almost at 1,000. We're about 10 people away. We would love to hit Yes, get us to 1,000. Especially those that are on Facebook. Hop on over to your YouTube page, Climb in the Pocket, and you will find us. And yes, what do get we us to say, 1,000. Tyler? I believe the word is Skull Vikings, baby. Skull. Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell. And if you're listening on your favorite aggregator, make sure you rate us. And always feel free to join the conversation here at Climbing the Pocket.